Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Golf Talk Live. I'm your host, Ted Odorico, and we've got uh, a great show. Uh, the first show back, uh, took a little break last week, obviously, to uh, observe Thanksgiving uh, holiday, and uh, we're back uh, here and ready to go tonight. Of course, we're going to be starting off, as always, on Thursday nights with another great round of Coach's Corner. And I've got two great gentlemen uh, who've been on many, many times on the show, a couple of my favorites, and uh, I'm going to introduce those in just a second. Uh, and then, actually, next week... Uh, will be the last show of 2017. I know originally I think I said it was going to be December 14th, uh, but it's actually going to be December 7th. So that'll be next Thursday will be the last show of the season. Uh, and then we'll take a, an extended break and I'll be back uh, ready to go on February the 8th uh, for our regular programming. And then actually in March, uh, the first Thursday of March, I don't have the date in front of me, we'll be adding uh, the Coach's Corner component. Uh, back on then give the guys a little bit of extra break uh, and get ready for their new season but uh, I want to thank you guys for joining me tonight here on, on uh, Golf Talk Live we're live every Thursday evening from 6 to 8 p.m. central uh, here on blogtalkradio.com network uh, simple easy way to find us go to blogtalkradio.com forward slash golf talk live or just type golf talk live in the search key and you can also uh, listen to the program if you want uh, on stitcher or itunes.com as well just go to the podcast section Again, just type in Golf Talk Live, and you can listen to the show there uh, on either of those uh, medium uh, platforms as well. Um, and also, as I said, we are live on Thursdays, but for some reason, if you can't join us live, just go to blogtalkradio.com forward slash Golf Talk Live and scroll down to the On Demand section, and you can listen to it there uh, as all of the auto-recorded programs are all stored there in that section. So you can uh, check it out there. Um, always love to hear from you. If you want to reach out to uh, us on the show, you can do so by calling on Thursdays during the live broadcast from six to eight central. The number to call is area code six, four, six, seven, one, six, four, six, six, seven, sorry, four, six, six, seven. And uh, you can email any questions or comments to me as well uh, during or after the show at ted.golftalklive at gmail.com. And if you're interested in, in joining in on the coach's corner uh, segment, or if you want to be a guest, a featured guest on the program as well, you can also reach out to me at ted.golftalklive at gmail.com. And I'm going to be sending out the, the Coach's Corner uh, schedule for 2018 uh, sometime here in the next week or so. So uh, keep an eye out for you, uh, those folks that have been on the program before. I'll make sure I'll send you a copy out, uh, out uh, in the next week, as I said. Uh, update on social media, Golf Talk Live blog on Facebook. Uh, Ted and Buck, CEO on Twitter, of course. All right, I've got a couple of great guys uh, coming on here. And then later on in the second half of the show, uh, my featured guest tonight is Joshua Jacobs. He's the CEO of TGA Premier Golf. Uh, we're going to talk to him. He's actually been on the show here about two years ago, I guess it was. And uh, he wanted to come back on. He's got some uh, new information and some updates that he wants to talk about. So we'll do that in the second half of the show. But let me bring up <laughs> Coach's Corner panel tonight. As I said, two great guys on the show. 
Uh, Clint Wright, uh, he's a 30-year member of the PGA, a partner at TGM Golf, and a big proponent of the R3 approach. Uh, one of the best, in my opinion, covering the short game today. And he's uh, fast become one of my favorite guests and panelists here on the Coach's Corner panel. Uh, right behind him, though, of course, is John Decker. Uh, fairly new to the show, but uh, he's been on here for the last year or so. Uh, also contributing to the Coach's Corner panel. And he's uh, currently a teacher professional at the New Albany Country Club in New Albany, Ohio. Uh, in 2015, he was named the Southern Ohio Teacher of the Year. Uh, prior to that, he was the head instructor at Grand Cypress Academy of Golf in Orlando, Florida, uh, where he worked under a couple of uh, top 100 instructors, Fred Griffin and Phil Rogers. And he's also the author of a great book, uh, Glorifying uh, Golf is My Life, Glorifying God Through the Game, which also is accompanied by a Bible study with that book as well. And he's also a motivational speaker uh, around the United States, so you want to check him out if he's coming to your area. And he's also featured on GolfSwing.com. Uh, many great uh, videos. I think they're topping over they're 70 of them now. Uh, you want to definitely go to golfswing.com and check those out. Um, guys, welcome to uh, Golf Talk Live's Coach's Corner. Yeah, glad to be here, Sam. Yeah, thank you, and Clint, glad to be with you. All right, great. All right, well, listen, guys, we're going to jump right into it here. Uh, welcome back to Coach's Corner. This will be the last one for you guys, uh, I, I guess, this season. Um, so I want to start things off, and I thought – kind of a little bit of a review if you will um and and john if you don't mind i'm going to start i'm going to start with you this time first and then okay. uh, uh clint will will uh, follow up with you I, I want to ask you what has been the biggest improvement that you've seen among your students overall this year uh specifically what area maybe uh that you've been teaching them uh is there sort of been a, a general theme if you will <clears throat> of, of what you've noticed some successes and then also what's been some of the most difficult uh, for students to really grasp this season? What areas of the game do you think has been difficult for some students to grasp this year? So uh, start with, with obviously, uh, the biggest improvements and then talk about some of the areas that uh, you found maybe some of the students have a little difficulty with. One of the things that, uh, that, that I uh, was happy about this, this year, Ted, was a lot of my students, it was more or less the mindset um, that I was able to convey to them the importance of the short game, um, trying to get them off of just focusing on their full swing, especially uh, during their lesson time. Uh, I, you know, ultimately the student, um, you know, they're paying for the time. And so if they want to do full swing, uh, obviously I will oblige them. But but I, I really try to stress the importance of at a bare minimum, uh, you know, let's don't go an hour on the full swing. Let's at least go half and half. And I've actually started to get right. more students to do uh, to to fall in the short game and as a result their scores are lowering uh and the other thing that i from a success standpoint that, that has been very good is also trying to really emphasize playing lessons i've gotten you know i don't want my student to stand on the tee and have five swing thoughts i want them to be focusing on playing the golf course so those are the two areas where this year and, and really over the last year and a half or so i really have seen a an improvement. I think that, um, you know, I'm going to talk more about the industry itself and, and kind of the, the, the negative things that, that I've seen or the difficulties I've seen. And, and that's just simply in the growth of the game. Um, you know, I, I was a little bit disappointed in the, in our, in our junior program, as far as the numbers of students that we had coming out, um, from, um, right. in, in years past. But, um, I think that, for example, I'm very excited that Tiger Woods is back. Uh, because uh, whether you, um, you know, whether you're a Tiger fan or not, Tiger Woods is good for the game of golf. He's good for the golf business, and we all know that. So 
um, that to me is is exciting. And and just you know, I think with kids, you're you're dealing with a lot of competition. You're dealing, you're competing against a lot of sports and stuff. So I just think getting the numbers that was the probably the only thing I could look at and go, you know, I was a little disappointed that our the numbers weren't higher. But other than that, I I was I would say I'm very very happy with overall the improvement I saw with with all my students. Great. Was there anything that you felt that was uh, difficult for some of the students to grasp? Was there areas that uh, more so than maybe another area that students uh, or it doesn't necessarily have to be your students, but that you find generally students have the most difficulty uh, grasping or understanding? Uh, was there anything that you can think of? Well, I think that the most understood part of the game that I see from a teaching standpoint and the most intimidating is the bunker. Uh, and, and I yeah. think that, you know, getting people, uh, to, to understand, first of all, the concept that we're, we're not hitting the ball here. We're trying to move sand. We're trying to move the sand onto the green and the ball will come with it. That, that concept, uh, because, uh, because the bunker, um, can just it bring people to their knees when they get in there and, and they literally can't get out. And so, um, you know, they want to, instead of embracing that and taking that and learning how to do it, they want to just avoid it altogether. And, and, you know, if your mindset on the golf course is I'm going to avoid the bunkers, um, that's not reality because we all know that bunkers are at low areas of the golf course and, and the ball is going to tend to roll to the low areas. So, um, you know, you have to learn how to get over that. And a lot of that is just the mental aspect. The actual bunker shot itself is not as difficult as, as the average golfer may perceive it to be, but you need to be taught how to play the shot properly and, um, and so I would say that would be an area that I see, you know, a, a lot of students struggle with and um, a lot of people, especially when you start talking about the longer bunker shots. Um, and, and so yeah. um, in those situations, I'm trying to get people just to learn how to get it out. Forget about the pin. Let's just get it out and, and maybe go around the trouble instead of trying to go over, you know, over, trying to hit the long shot. So that, those would be the areas where I saw the most difficulties. Yeah, I, I would agree with you as well. Um, Clint, what about yourself? Um, biggest improvements that you've seen with with uh, folks that you were working with this this past season, and and uh, what about some difficulties uh, that that you found as well? Uh, what are your thoughts? Well, for, first of all, I think John said it quite well. <clears throat> um, some of the difficulties that we saw, but to me, you know, I focus on the short game uh, almost entirely. Sure. So it, it really wasn't difficult for me to get people to focus on a short game because when they come take a lesson from me, that's what they're coming for. So the the mm-hmm. biggest thing that, that I think we fight in the, the short game area uh, is a perception on how the best players play some of the shots that they want to play. What we see on mm-hmm. television is the fancy shots, the flop shots, the hard shots. We never see the little bump and run shot from off the fringe of the green because it's boring. They're not going to show that on television. They yeah. won't see the spectacular shots, right? So I think the biggest improvement I finally broke through with some of my students this year is to understand we need to play a little bit of Scottish golf. We need to start playing the game on the ground. You know, hit the bump and runs. Use your putter from off the fringe of the green. Give yourself the best chance. So I think, you know, I focused a lot on that this year. Says, okay, don't bring your sandwich to a short game lesson day because we're not going to hit that shot. We're going to learn something that will get you a better chance of getting the ball close from a lot of places. Now, obviously, we know we have to teach them some technique on how to get the ball up in the air and, and from certain areas, but I focused a lot with my students uh, early on in the, in the summer 
um, it, to play more bump and runs. The ball on the ground as quick as you can. And that just gives you a better, better chance. For nothing else, we all know this, is even when you miss hit a shot like that, you stand, it, it could run on up there. You get, your odds are better. So as far as the improvement level, it's kind of the breakthrough with a few of my students to have that aha moment. So, oh, yeah, this really does work. You know, because uh, a lot of the younger generations never seen, you know, the, 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 their, their, their heroes and their people they watch play those shots because they just don't show it. And, you know, right. one of the most difficult things, I, I think, John hit on it. I mean, the, the junior guy programs were, were short in our area this year as well, but I think there's a cycle mm-hmm. uh, that, that will come back around. And we saw some people, you know, that hadn't been involved in golf uh, come back a little bit this year. Uh, yeah. The weather was good. I mean, we had great weather here, so it wasn't anything really prohibitive for getting people out, so they'd come out and try it again. Um, you know, so as far as the other difficulties and the things I think our industry kind of lets us down, um, you know, one of the things that's always amusing to me is that I have people now, and it's it's okay. They come at, well, I saw this on television last night, and I think I want to give it a yeah. try. Okay? Right. <laughs> and, and, yeah. And you know what I'm talking about. They they see it on one of our more popular uh, channels, and you know they're they're these yeah. guys are great teachers, and they're showing general ideas on what to do, and it's just not going to work for you know they're up there giving a a, a lesson that will fit a 25 year old's back, but it's not going to fit a 60 year old's back, you know. But here I got a guy right. coming out. One you know I want to try this shot. I said okay, well let's try it. Let's see how you do. Uh, and I kind of use it against them. Let's see how you do with that one, and then let me show you the shot that's really going to work for you. Um, so to me, that's the, the negative thing right now. We have so many areas of information, and I'm sure John fights this too, is that you have an idea, you have the technique, and you know, then you've got to work past that, 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 quote, expert that they see everywhere else. Uh, to try to get that back out of what they're doing. And to emphasize what John said about bunkers, two big problems with bunkers and the players. Not too many golf courses have practice bunkers. Some do, mm-hmm. but we have bunkers on almost every golf course. So I put a bunker on the golf course and don't give my members or my players a place to learn how to hit that shot. So they're afraid of it. They never get to practice, never learn how, because there's no place for them to do it other than on the course, maybe at a slow time of day. And the, the one that really gets me is how many times have you been to a golf course where there was a bunker that was designed that you could learn how to hit a fairway bunker shot out of it? Right. Very few. Yeah, you're but we, exactly. have fairway bun- right. we have fairway bunkers on every golf course, and we expect our students to know how to get out of it when there's really no place for us to teach them how. Now, I'm sure John does, and I do too, if we get out a playing lesson, we're going to throw a ball in there and, and work on it a little bit if we have a chance. But that's the biggest right. problem I see with the bunker shots, as John says, we just don't have a place for people to learn how. Uh, so, yeah, that cell, is, that's kind of it. Yeah, no, that you're exactly well said, both of you. Um, no, you're exactly right. And, and actually, this sort of leads in, and you guys both kind of touched on a little bit, but um, sort of leads me into to another question here. Um, 
you know, there's a lot of golf marketing and mass social media being presented to many of the average golfers out there. Um, and John, I'm going to go back to you. In your opinion, what are some of the misconceptions, if any, that are being circulated around today that you feel? And, that, and this is just, you know, an opinion piece. It's not, uh, you know, necessarily, sure. necessarily the gospel, but, um, you know, there is a lot of marketing and, and Clint touched on it. You've touched on it a little bit as well, but maybe if you want to just add some thoughts and then, and Clint, if you want to as well, jump in uh, after, sure. that's fine. Well, I, I, that's a great question. Um, you know, I, you know, I was taught, I was fortunate enough to learn at Grand Cypress, and I was taught with biomechanical research. I was taught with top 100 teachers who worked with, you know, players of all levels. And I learned a system that I, I think is, is, is a pretty pretty sound system, fundamental-wise. I see a lot of the marketing terms that are used, um, like, you know, like you'll hear the term plane, for example, and you'll talk about one plane and two plane and all these different things that you'll, you'll hear. But, but those are um, terms that really don't translate um, when you're standing over the golf ball because you're in a three-dimensional world. You're not in a two-dimensional world when you're standing over the golf ball. So I don't refer to the swing as a plane. I refer to it as a tack. Now, it would be hypocritical for me to say that because I just got done filming uh, in Dallas uh, a video that's going to be coming out in June, and it's going to be on the short game. Um, and there's some marketing that's going to be used in that. So uh, I realize the importance of marketing uh, because it's, it's part of, you know, you're trying to, it, it's just like any business, you want to have a slogan or some way to attract people. So that's important. Sure. But a lot of times when I see um, statements that are made um, in terms of teeing, uh, you know, 35 and 40 yards and things like that, um, I don't uh, really buy into that. Just like I don't buy into if you take this pill, you're going to lose 40 pounds. And if you take this pill, you're going to have more hair. Uh, so I really, I really uh, <laughs> shy away from those things. Uh, what I, what I believe in is, fundamental things that are going to translate on the golf course because the number one thing that I care about with any student is that they lower their scores that they don't do it the way Tiger right. Woods does it they do it so that they lower their scores I want them to come to me and say John at the beginning of the year I was a 17 now I'm a 15 I consider that a success mm -hmm. if they're telling me John at the beginning yep. of the year I was a 17 I took seven lessons with you and now I'm a 25 then I would be out of a job pretty fast. So I want to, I want people to lower their scores. I don't want to make claims that, that can't be backed. And, and so just be aware, if they're guaranteeing you something that's going to – if they're guaranteeing you yards, this is what I say to someone. If they're guaranteeing you 35 extra yards, go out on the golf course and give yourself 35 extra yards off the tee and see if your score is lower. Because if your scores don't lower, those right. 35 yards aren't going to mean anything to you. What matters is that you can get the ball in the hole from inside of 35 yards. And so if you can get the ball inside the hole inside of 35 yards, I, that, this is a guarantee. I guarantee you, you will lower your scores if you don't three-putt, if you can pitch the ball on the green and two-putt, and you can get out of a bunker in one time, one shot and two-putt. I guarantee you, you will lower your scores for the average golfer. So that, that's my guarantee. It kind of bothered me as a golf professional because there is no magic pill. There is no magic, um, you know, phrase or term that's going to 
a marketing scheme that's going to do it. It's, it's, it's common sense stuff, and I think, you know, the short game is where it starts. Yeah, I agree. And, uh, Clint, I don't know if you want to add to that. I think John pretty much summed oh, it up he's for just, both of us. Uh, he just destroyed my entire process. <laughs> I mean, I, I got the club for 35 more yards. I got the pill to wait, lose weight, and I rub my hair every day. I mean, <laughs> it's ruined my day. I'll never, I may not ever recover. Um, no, he's right on the money. I mean, it, it, it's one of those simple things. And, and what he just said in a summary is exactly the thing that I put. Get your third shot on the green and two putt. You, the worst you're going to shoot is 90. Yep. You know, and yep. if you know that yeah, get the third shot on the green and two putt, you're going to you're going to lower your score. And that's we can call it short game. We refer to it as the third shot. You know. Right. Be really good with your third well, shot club. And so he 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 nailed it. I, I don't need to add anything to it other than the fact that I'm just completely destroyed. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I hear you. I'm I'm up in those ranks now too, uh, Clint. So I I completely agree. But uh, yeah. like, great job, John. And and uh, all right. So well, then Clint, I'm going to throw this one to you then, uh, sure. since we we uh, we want to try and even it out. Um, if you only had 30 minutes with a student at one time. 30-minute lesson, what right. would you advise them to do to get the most out of that time? So it's not just uh, out of their game, but out of that time. If you only had 30 minutes with them, what would you want to instill in those 30 minutes to give them, uh, and I don't want to use the term biggest bang for the buck, but, but the, the most out of that time? Very straightforward and simple. I want to spend at least 15 minutes of that time educating them on how the best players actually play. How do they get around the golf course? What's the important thing for them to do to lower their score? Because when you're out on the tour or you're playing competitive golf, score matters. It's the only thing that matters. doesn't matter how you hit it. It's how many times. So I'm going to show them the data and the stats. Here's how these guys play. Where's the money ball at? Yep. And then if I can get them to buy in that the money ball is the third shot, with the tour players, mm-hmm. it's the third shot on the par three, the third shot on the par four, and the third shot on the par five. If they're successful with their third shots, they're going to make a lot of money. And the stats, yeah. the stats back that up. So I'm going to take enough time to try to show them how the best players score. Then we'll, in the next 15 minutes or so, I'd like to be able to spend a little bit of time just evaluating. Hey, let me see you make a full swing. Okay, that looks okay. You're fundamentally sound. Now let's go over here and chip and putt a little bit. I want to make sure he's fundamentally sound in his golf swing, and then you can go on to that, that third shot I did very quickly. Now we, we can't be foolish enough to right. think the guy can roll it on the ground every time and focus on the third shot and lower his score. He's got to be fundamentally sound at some point. Um, but my primary thing would be to try to educate them on just how they're going to approach playing the game in order to shoot the best score they can. Uh, that's where I find the difficulty. People don't quite understand how the best players actually play. You know, and right. last time I looked, yeah, we a played great... a game. Okay. Yeah, so that's where it'd be. Yeah, no, that's a, that's I, I focus an excellent my attention on that. Yeah, that's an excellent point, Clint. And, you know, let me just add to this. You know, I, I like the fact that before you even stepped out on the golf course, you're already educated. I mean, I believe in education, whatever, um, you know, whether you're playing golf or, or whether you're, you know, in school or what have you, 
um, education is important. And I think that by educating golfers up front and showing them the stats, as you said, or the facts on how the better, you know, you always hear players say, well, I'd like to play more like, or I'd like to, you know, be able to hit shots like so-and-so. Um, but a lot of times the areas that they're focusing on are not maybe areas that are going to help them uh, lower their scores. It might make them look better on the golf course, might make them mm-hmm. uh, a better shot maker in some respects, but it's not necessarily going to get the job done that they ultimately want, and that's to lower their scores. So, John, uh, what about you? You've got 30 minutes with a student, uh, one-time deal. Um, what are you going to do to, to show them or convince them that uh, that 30 minutes is going to be uh, money well spent? Well, so this is more or less just talking to them about this is not an actual lesson. This is educating them. I'm, I just want to make sure I'm clear on the question. Uh, you've got 30 minutes with a student. You can you can mix it up Do any whatever. way you want. Clint obviously talked yeah. about maybe. Yeah, whatever. You've got 30 minutes. A student comes to you and says, John, you know, um, I, I want to, you know, improve my, my game. Uh, what are you going to do for them for 30 minutes to, uh, to, to give them the best advice, if you will, or opportunity to I get you. the most out of that time? So in other words, right, go for it. Sure. Okay. The, for me, it would be uh, I would work with them on pitching. Um, I would put them um, about 30 yards from the green. Because the advantage of working on your pitch shot, number one, uh, if you pitch the ball close to the hole, putting is easier. Two is if you can pitch it on the green, uh, you avoid the bunkers uh, and you avoid all the trouble, the creeks and all the things like that. Um, but but the other thing that, about pitching that's great is it translates to your full swing. It has all the same sequence, really, of, a, of the full swing, but it, it helps you to lower your scores because you're developing your touch. So you're working on your sequence, you're working on your timing, and you're working on your touch. When you hit a driver, you work on timing, but you don't work on touch. And when you work on putting, you work on touch, but you don't work on power. When you work on pitching, you get the combination of both. And that, if I have only 30 minutes, and, and I think tour players will tell you, you know, like I saw today, I watched Tiger. He was, he was one under par. I, didn't, I watched him on the first four or five holes. But his first pitch shot, he chunked it. He barely, he didn't even get it on the green. Then he made the putt. But the point was, I mean, you know, the average, I mean, he, he, he's, been, he's laid off. And, you know, obviously because of his injury. And the first thing that goes, right. and, and Clint will be the first to tell you this, and, and you know this, is those pitch shots, those little yep. mm-hmm. 20 to 40-yard shots. Those are – that's what the tour players worry – they don't worry about getting their driver or they're not worried about going out there and three-putting. They might worry about, you know, their three- and four-footers. But but the, the pitch shots around the green with those tight lies and into the grain and all that, that's what they worry about because – they know that if you haven't been playing a lot of golf, that thing to really go. So that's where I would spend the most time with them. Yeah. Yeah. Tiger, Some great, Tiger uh, great answers. Guys. Yeah. Tiger shoots 69 today and hit 12 greens. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So it's, yeah, it's third shot made it today. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Uh, you know, so many folks, and we, we've talked about this before on the show, so many folks spend a majority of their time on their driver uh, in other areas of the game, and, and if they would just flip it around and focus more on their short game, especially, as you said, their wedge play, um, you know, they would be much better and be able to lower those scores. Um, all right, Clint, I want to ask you this question. Mm-hmm. What did you take away? You obviously worked with some students this year. Um, mm-hmm. What did you take away from working with your students this year 
that you feel will help you work towards an even more successful 2018. So what, what did you take away working with the students that you're going to reformulate? Maybe you're going to mix it up a little bit. You're going to say, you know what, this was a yeah. good year. Things went well. What am I going to do for next year that I learned from this year? Yeah, I, I think it's a great question. We're always doing that. I mean, I don't think there's been a, a year in my career that I haven't, you know, kind of did something a little bit different. But this year's been kind of interesting because we're in the process of formulating and, and improving the third shot clinics. And, you know, we've tried mm -hmm. two or three different approaches, and we and, – and John hit on it. I mean, we're we're looking at how we can take a person in a one-day clinic and get all this information involved. And I think one of the things that we found, and, and I think John just confirmed it, is where can we get the most bang out of a technique issue? And we found it was in the pitching. Because, because yeah. if we can teach them to pitch the ball on the green, John had it right. The putting's easier. You know, if you can pitch the ball 15 feet from the hole versus 30, you got a better chance. So those are some of the things that I had always started on putting first. But I've found right. that to get – because usually I've got a two-day deal, not a one-day. So we're trying to get it down to a one-day uh, issue. And so we're, we're probably going to make those changes that we're going to start people off pitching the ball first, then move to the green. And, and, and I'm glad to hear what John said because it kind of confirms my, my thought pattern. And that's probably the thing we'll take away this year, of refining not necessarily what we're saying, but when we say it. Right to get the proper sequence of person, we got to convince them first. And I think this is where it comes down. I've got to get the buy-in from my student. And we've reconfigured some of the wording and how we approach telling people, hey, the tour players make a living making pars on the par threes, pars on the par fours, and birding the par fives. That, you know, Tiger Woods today had six opportunities to make bogey. I think he made one. Mm -hmm because he missed six greens. So that means he pitched the ball up close right. enough to make a putt. That's the third shot out there. Pitch it up, make it, you know, don't give the birdies back. That's the tour players thing. And we found that didn't resonate too hard, too well with, with some people. They didn't quite understand not give the birdies back. So we, we realign how we say that. But I think the most important thing we took away from what we've done this year is the starting point on the technique. We're, we're not going to start on the putting green, uh, in our, our spring stuff, we're going to start with the pitch and work our way back to the green. I, I feel like we tried that a couple of times with individual students, and it did kind of get them to understand that this is where the third shot takes place, right here. Yeah. If this is a good shot, then yeah, the no, putting will be easier. Yeah. So that's what we took away. Yeah, you're you're exactly right. Yeah, you're exactly right. And and John hit it on it uh, as well. You know, the, obviously the closer you're going to uh, pitch it up to the hole. Uh, yeah, is going to increase your chances of making those putts as well, and That's and right. you know and, and I also like you know John you made made the point about um, you know really learning to to pitch it's really a mini version of the full swing so that again incorporates good technique along the way. Um, what about you, John? As far as the season, as you look back this year, um, working with your students, what are you going to take away that's going to help you? Uh, you know, be able to help many more students or even some of the same students uh, as you move into the 2018 season? Well, I'm really excited about 2018. As you know, 2017 has been a whirlwind for me. It started with my book tour, and, and I took a lot of time off doing that, mm -hmm. and I got back into teaching uh, up in Ohio. Uh, I was uh, fortunate enough to be able to come back to the club after doing the book tour. 
Um, and I did that in August. And um, I started putting out some videos on social media and golfswing.com saw my videos. They, they contacted me. They said, you know, we want to hire you to, uh, we like your presentation style. And so um, they, I started sending them videos. I've sent them 86 videos and, in like two and a half months, um, wow. they flew me out to Dallas. I filmed 120 videos, and I, did, I filmed a video. A, a system is called the Pitch Perfect Scoring System, and this um, this video it's going to be coming out in the first of the year, and I'm very excited about it um, because I I really feel like that this is kind of the trend with the millennials. The millennials want to watch something, they want to watch something briefly, and then go work on it, and and I don't have a problem doing that. I like doing the videos, but ultimately, uh, to learn the, the game of golf, ultimately you need to be in the hands of an instructor, uh, you know, because uh, there's only so much you can self-diagnose and, and, and do. But that's, it's a form. It's a way to reach people. It's a way to market. So I'm very, very excited about that and the opportunities for that. And so um, I'm looking forward to doing more of that and, and uh, just seeing how, how, the, the, how this uh, comes out, you know, because it was a whirlwind. I, w- I talked so much the first day doing the videos that I was literally losing my voice. And so, um, but it was really exciting <laughs> and, and we'll, we'll see where it goes from, from there. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've actually seen a few of your, your videos, John, and they're, they're great. Uh, you, you did a fantastic job and I have no Thank doubt um, that it, they'll be, they'll be successful uh, to help you for next year. Um, but Clint, that's a, that's a great point, you know, that, that John makes is, you know, reaching out, you know, we talked about earlier on about reaching out to sort of this next generation. I mean, uh, certainly we're not going to forget those of us that are getting up in years, but at the same time, we want to also be able to help the the game grow. We've got players that are already playing now. They've been playing for many years and we can certainly Mm -hmm. tweak and and help them uh, play the best game, but we got to find new ways uh, to, to reach some of these younger audiences and get them get them involved in the game because I, I firmly believe that once they get involved in the game and if they're taught properly and correctly and from the, the right perspective uh, on how to be successful out in the golf course, then they're going to want to continue to play. And so I guess I'm posing the same question to you is what are you going to take away from this year that's going to help you into 2018? Well, as far as, the millennium level, as far as grow, bringing more people in, um, you know, it, you're right. I mean, right now we need a, uh, in the game, he's right. Tiger needs to be back in chasing down Jack Nicholas's record. That would help dramatically to get us in the news more. The The biggest problem we mm-hmm. see, I, I think, is that the, the millennium's uh, age, you know, the 20 to 30 year old, I think we almost have to begin to develop a little bit of the top golf mentality. You know, it's entertainment. Mm -hmm. Okay. We have to be able to entertain them. And we have a sport. We, we, we have struggled with our industry trying to understand how we make golf entertaining. And so we have to have things that at, at the clubs that are beyond just the, the sport of golf. What brings them in the the clubhouse? You know, we got all we got TVs everywhere. We can watch six channels at the same time. You know, it's entertainment. We have to begin to try to figure out how we make our sport entertainment. And if we can do that with different events, 
social events that happen to have a golf component, much like Top Golf, they, they've got a sports bar uh, with and a, and a driving area that, that has an entertainment attached to a golf program. I mean, I've, I've told people, you know, Top Golf is like a bowling alley with a golf range. You know, it's entertainment. They come there, they socialize, and oh, by the way, we can hit some golf balls. <clears throat> so if we can take that concept of creating golf as entertainment and get it to the golf courses and the clubs, we have a chance to, to, to really have some great success in the next five to ten years. Uh, because there's, there's a huge economic impact uh, with that with the millenniums. I've, I've got two daughters in that category, and, you know, they're out there driving our economy, okay, doing something. Yes. I mean, they're the new career people in our, our economy. I mean, we're – we're over the hill a little bit as far as our career, but <clears throat> but they're not, you know. Uh, and if and if we can't make it entertainment, we, we're gonna have a tough road to hoe. So I agree. I agree, a hundred percent. Yeah, and so yeah, that's, that's where a we great go. point because yeah, yeah, that's a great point because you know I've spoken to a lot of um, of the millennials as well, and that's one of the things for them. It's more a social. Uh, it's not, you know, they, right. they're realistic. They understand they're not going to be the next Tiger Woods or the Jordan Spieths or Michelle Wee or whoever you want to throw out there. They understand that. Now, there are some that have that burning passion, perhaps, but the majority of them don't. Um, but they want to have it, – it's all about that social connection. It's, it's about friends. It's about getting together. And that's why, as you said, Top Golf has done such a phenomenal job of, of really sort of marrying the sport to – uh, I equate it really, and, and, I, and I don't mean a disservice to the folks at Top Golf, but it's the modern day version of a bowling alley uh, yeah, for the millennials. But it's just yeah. using a different theme. Because if you think about it, when I was growing up, that's where we went. I mean, we didn't have anything else. You went to the bowling alley, you met, you know, people there and friends and, and new people and that. And you know, you didn't care whether you bowled well or not. You could stink. It was just a matter of that social connection. So Top Golf right. has, has found a niche in the market to get millennials. Now out of that, what they uh, needs to be uh, for the industry to, to grapple on is now once we've got them out there and playing a little bit or piddling around a little bit is now to say, okay, let's take it to the next level. And I think, you know, one of the problems that I see is that, you know, the golf industry for a long time has tried to feed everybody into uh, the tour mentality, you know, let's get out there and let's play uh, competitive. And sure, we want to play competitive to a point, but we also have to be realistic that the majority of, of kids and youngsters out there are never going to make it out on the PGA or the LPGA tour. They just don't have mm-hmm. um, the, the talent and they just don't have the ability. Not everybody is going to make uh, or break it out on the tour. So we have to find another market for them. That's something that has been lacking. And the only way that you're going to do that is to convince uh, the powers that be to say we need to encompass this game for everybody, um, and I think that they're starting to get that. But it's like anything; it's a slow transition. All right, guys, I, I got one more question for you. Uh, it's kind of along the lines of what we've been talking about tonight. Um, I actually had a friend of mine reach out to me through Facebook. Uh, went to school with this uh, young lady, and she's uh, in a relationship now with with a golfer. She's never played herself. Uh, doesn't really know much about the game. So, uh, John, I'm going to go to you first. Um, for the listeners' benefit out there, and who knows, she might be tuning in as well, um, that have never played the game before, really don't know a lot. They've maybe heard about it, seen it on TV a little bit. Uh, they're interested in playing. If you were going to put together a checklist 
what would you put together to give them the best start? How would you advise them to start? Where would you send them and what would you do to give them the best start for somebody that's never been involved in the sport? So you've got a one-shot deal. I want to get you interested in the sport. What would you do to, to give them that checklist? That's a that's a great question. I'm glad this is not a relationship question because you scared me there for a second when you started out. But but uh, this is uh, from a from a golf standpoint, I can answer the question. Relationships, maybe not. But uh, what what I would suggest to to your friend is is um, and, and you know uh, I would try to get her into a clinic uh, very very much like uh, the golf get ready is a, is a great way to get started. Um, you know, find yourself a good pro in your area, you know, do a little um, networking, at, you know, make a few phone calls or whatever, find someone or talk to friends, girlfriends or things. But, you know, usually women like to take lessons in groups. And I've, I've had so many women who they want to learn their husband plays or their boyfriend plays and they want to learn, but they're intimidated. So they team up with another friend and that's a great way to do it. Find a girlfriend um, um, or it could be a guy friend or whatever. Um, and and try to get involved in a, in a clinic and take a spirit. You have to learn golf in in you can't learn it in 30 minutes or an hour. We all know that. If you take a series right. of classes for like five or six uh, weeks in a row, or you know, if you could go you know five weeks out of ten or something like that in the summer, um, that is an excellent way. And and it's and you just do it in baby steps. And the golf get ready program is you know, real basic, you know, you learn putting, you learn, you learn the pitching, the, the, the full swing, you learn the rules and the etiquette and, 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 you know, you get out on the golf course. So that's a good way to do it. If you're, if you're at a golf course that has the golf get ready program, that's a great formula to go with. But I would look for any kind of clinic. I think clinics are great ways to get started because when you learn with a group of people who are novices, just like yourself, um, you, you don't feel as intimidated. Because uh, you sit there and and you when you when you miss the ball and we've all done that I remember missing the ball when I first started uh, you kind of laugh about it and because everyone else is struggling as well and a lot of times when you take a one on one lesson which a lot of people like to do feel and you miss the ball you think to yourself oh my gosh the pro has never seen this I must be the worst player in the world but <laughs> but that's not the truth right. we've all done that I, I the first thing I tell a beginner is listen. The first time I swung and tried to hit the ball, I missed it. So that, that kind of yep. gives them that sense of, okay, this is normal, and, and they just go from there. So I would recommend some sort of clinic along those lines. Yeah, I, I agree. You know, one of the other things that – let me just throw in real quick, and then, Clint, I can get you to add some thoughts there as well. Sure. Um, one of the things that she asked me, which, again, is something I think that is more in tune with, with what women's needs and things are, is she wanted to know about really what to wear. Um, you know, she's never played golf. She doesn't know what the, the protocol or the attire is. And of course the women have a much bigger selection out there than, than the guys do. Um, so I, you know, uh, gave her the, uh, website links to some, uh, great, uh, entrepreneurs that have been on, uh, our other show, uh, the women of golf uh, with Cindy Miller and I, and, uh, they've just got some phenomenal products and introduced her to a, a couple of women that I think uh, are really great with the game that uh, could sort of also give her some, some advice. But one of the things that I said to her, which was kind of interesting, and, and this is one, for, and I'm going to say this from my standpoint, you guys may agree or disagree, um, but I said, first and foremost, do not, I said, I don't care if he's a scratch golfer, do not take lessons 
from your boyfriend or husband or spouse, whatever the case may yeah. be. Go to Great a point. qualified professional. And I'll tell you why. Um, because I have seen more marriages. I've seen more relationships yeah. go south real quick. And I don't mean south to Florida. I mean south in, in, in yeah. how they treat one another. Because, you know, first and foremost – unless he's an extremely good golfer, you're going to pick up his bad habits. If he's struggling with his game and now he's going to try and teach you, you're going to pick up all of his bad habits. So you want to go to a qualified professional. And I suggested, and I certainly don't mean to, to disrespect the guys out there, but I even suggested maybe going to a female instructor in her area just to add that additional level of comfort. Um, but again, going to a qualified uh, professional. Um, what was kind of interesting in some of the, the dialogue that went back and forth between her and I was that she agreed 100%. He, on the other hand, didn't agree. He couldn't understand why he couldn't teach her. And yeah. so I gave her a few other uh, comments and, and told her to go back and hopefully uh, um, you know, she straightened him out. But that's something that I've seen. I've had personal friends that have tried to do that with their wives, and it just it's not going to work. So, no. um, but Good what, advice. what about you? Well, yeah, I, first of all, first of all, your friend's boyfriend's an idiot if he thinks he can teach her how to play. Um, but yeah, that that's that's his problem. I'm telling you, it, you know. And and John's right. I mean, you just have to go to where it find that comfort zone. But I would probably encourage her, maybe for her and her boyfriend, late in the afternoon, just go out and play three or four holes. Just get out of there on the course and try, just to give a go at it. And then get get some good instructions. But I, I'll relay a very quick story to you, and I think John's exactly right in what he said about the people feeling uncomfortable by, by whiffing it. My wife, when we first met, she had never played golf before in her life. So but we'd go out and play, and and she thought everybody played like I did, which at the time I was playing pretty good. Okay, But finally I talked the ladies at the club to take her out with them. Go play. Just go. She came back in and says, you know, everybody plays like I do. Mm-hmm. Everybody rolls it on the ground. <laughs> and it made her feel so much more comfortable right. to go out and, 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 and to play because she saw that the other ladies rolled it on the ground sometimes too. So I think right. that's real important for somebody to explain to this what lady is it's okay if you roll yep. it on the ground for a while because we all did. I think that's the biggest right. stumbling block for, for beginners, men and women, to, to, that are particularly mm-hmm. coming into the game late, you know, in their 20s and 30s, is that they see so much of it on social media, they see it on television, that's the way people play golf. They're watching the best 125 players in the world play and think everybody plays that way. So yeah. I make a point exactly around the course, you know, so you got to tell them and show them. I actually sometimes will take a person that, that, that I know feels uncomfortable with that, and we sit on the range for a little bit and watch other people hit it. Just sit on the range and watch yeah. them. Yeah, that's – And I yeah, want you to understand a, now. Okay. Mm-hmm. I want you to understand what yeah. they do. No, so ahead, when sorry. you're doing the same thing, yeah, well, I want you to see what they do. Some of them get in the air, and then they hack it and they whack it, and, you know, here they go. And when they get up there, they don't feel quite so uncomfortable because, hell, everybody else was doing that. Right. So that comes back to that education thing again. Just how does how does the average person play the game? Not very well, um, is the answer. So give yourself a little space here, and she needs to understand that. Be patient with herself. Don't expect too much, 
and uh, and then just enjoy the day. Yeah, so. and that's the thing. That's what I said to her is, you know, you, you want to go out and have fun. And, and, you know, the other thing, too, which is a big no-no uh, for any of you guys listening out there, if you're thinking of getting your spouse and another uh, problem as well uh, that I've seen, uh, and then uh, we'll wrap it up, is – you know, the spouse will go and take some golf lessons and there's two scenarios. One where, you know, he will, he will be there at the lesson, of course, he's critiquing everything that the coach is saying, uh, or he'll try to make changes when they get back and they're, you know, maybe having their own little practice session and she's trying to focus on what the coaches or the teacher has been, been showing her yeah. and he's trying to make change. Well, no, well, you need to do this. And so he's unraveling and unwinding what the golf professional has been trying to get her to do and that's also another no-no i mean you know the best thing that you can do guys if you want to give your your uh, girlfriend a gift uh to enjoy the game as much as you do buy her some lessons and then back off you know pay for some lessons uh you know maybe go out and help find a good uh professional that she's comfortable with it doesn't matter whether you're comfortable it's whether she's comfortable because she's going to be taking the lessons uh pay right. for it if you want however you want to work it out and then step the heck back and let her enjoy it and become better and then your your yeah. enjoyment of the game will be much uh, much better as well um guys i know it was pretty light tonight on on coach's corner but uh, as i said at the beginning we're, we're wrapping up the season uh let me first and foremost say guys i want to thank you very much uh, for coming on the show uh, as much as you have. I know it's not always easy when we've got a, a day job uh, to be able to, to drive home and, and then uh, come on air with me uh, here on the Coach's Corner panel. But I appreciate uh, all of your, your thoughts and your input here in 2017. And I look forward to both of you uh, joining me in the new season uh, in 2018 as we uh, uh, start things up again in March for Coach's Corner. But uh, uh, guys, Clint, I'm going to let you go first, but uh, uh, Clint, if you want uh, the folks to reach out to you or if there's anything you, special you want to say, uh, now's the time, and, and then, John, I'll give you the, the last word. Yeah, Ted, I, this has been a great year, and to be honest with you, this show's been fun. I mean, I, the last three or four shows have been some of the best that we've done over the years, and I certainly enjoy being part of them. And, and John, it's been in nice the last three or four, I think the last two or three times we've been on together, it, it's kind of fun to to hear your comments about the short game and the direction you're wanting to go because it's very much right in line with with what we need to be doing. I, I agree. I hope everybody had a great Thanksgiving. The end of this year is going to be great. Uh, happy holidays. Merry Christmas. And uh, we'll, we'll look forward to maybe uh, talking a little bit more maybe in February. Sounds good. Uh, John? Ted, first of all, I want to thank you for this opportunity to be on the show. And, and I have just thoroughly enjoyed it. And, it's been an it's been an honor and a privilege. And Clint, I've really enjoyed uh, being on with you. We uh, we do have a, a a lot of the same ideas, and I look forward to one day meeting you in person and and um, and you know getting to know you even more. Um, if the if you want to um, watch any of my videos, I, I would go to golfswing.com. Um, and I'm also you can follow me on Facebook. Again, I spell my name J O N. Uh, I'm under John Decker Golf Instruction on Facebook. You can also follow me on Instagram, Twitter, or LinkedIn. Uh, and I have a book um, th- that I wrote. Uh, it's a Christian book with a Bible study, uh, but the book is uh, Golf Is My Life, Glorifying God Through the Game. And that's on, uh, you can go to Barnes & Noble or Amazon uh, to order the book. And uh, I think it makes a great Christmas gift. And to all the listeners, um, I want to say, um, you know, happy. I hope you had a happy Thanksgiving. 
uh, and Merry Christmas, and uh, I look forward to uh, being on the show in 2018. Well, we're going to, uh, again, thank you guys. We're going to have a great show uh, in the new year. i got lots of great, uh, we're going to have some uh, additional special uh, guest panelists that are going to be joining us next year. Um, we, we had uh, Brett Cohen uh, was this year. We had some others lined up. Unfortunately, their schedules conflicted, so I wasn't able to do it this year. Uh, but I've already got a bunch of them lined up for next year that are going to be jumping in with some more interesting topics that we're going to tackle next year. Uh, always try to, you know, kick it up a notch uh, as we go along. And, um, you know, I, I like to keep things fresh. And I think a lot of people, I get a lot of great feedback about all of you guys, uh, not just the two of you, but uh, everybody that's been participating this year uh, and previous years on the Coach's Corner panel. They really enjoy this uh, part of the segment uh, of the show. And uh, not just the, the average uh, golfers out there, but a lot of your fellow pros as well uh, get a few nuggets uh, uh, that they can take away from as well to help win their own um, uh, careers. So, um, John and, and Clint, thank you very much, uh, as always. And for some reason, if we don't uh, connect before, uh, Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays to both of you. God bless, and thank you, as always, for joining me on the Coach's Corner panel. You're welcome, Ted. See you later. Thank you, Ted, and God bless, and right. uh, have a Merry Christmas, Clint. All right. Okay. All right, that was that was the uh, Coach's Corner panel tonight. John Decker and Clint Wright, thanks, guys, for doing such a phenomenal job. Uh, as always, um, I'm going to be joined here in just a few moments by my very special guest tonight, uh, Joshua Jacobs. He's the CEO of TGA uh, Premier Golf, and I'm going to tell you a little bit about him as uh, wait for him to come on board. Uh, it, it's uh, Joshua has actually been on the show before. Uh, he founded TGA Premier Golf in 2003 at uh, six Los Angeles um, elementary schools. TGA's program quickly evolved into the first self-sustaining and scalable junior golf delivery system that makes learning and playing golf available to the masses. Uh, with 70% of TGA participants and their families having never played golf before, the introductory and recreational model has become the industry leader, growing participation through youth and their millennial parents. Uh, Jacobs was named by Golf Magazine as one of the top 40 most influential people in golf under 40 and was recognized as one of golf's innovators uh, by Golf Inc., uh, TGA, which means Teach, Grow, and Achieve, uh, delivers after-school golf enrichment programs, camps, uh, parents, uh, child tournaments, and leagues at 3,400 locations across 60 markets in the United States. Uh, to date, TGA has over 740,000 participants and has a 501c3 nonprofit arm, the TGA Sports Foundation, dedicated to changing lives uh, through sports. Uh, TGA is scaled through a franchise model. TGA Premier Golf was franchised in 2007. Uh, TGA launched its second franchise concept, Tennis, uh, in 2012 in partnership with the United States Tennis Association, so it's expanding even to other markets, and recently launched its latest youth sports venture, Team Sports, with flag football, lacrosse, cheerleading, uh, ultimate frisbee, floor hockey, and volleyball programs. Uh, Jacobs has served on PGA of America National Boards, the Southern California PGA's Foundation Advisory Board and Player Development Board, the World uh, Golf Foundation Advisory Board, and the USTA's National Schools Committee. He graduated from Emory University uh, with a degree in economics and business and a minor in history, uh, where he also played varsity golf and club tennis. So very uh, well-rounded individual. It's been an honor to have him in the past. And as I said, he's going to be joining us uh, here in just a few moments, but I thought I would read that out because I know it was quite a bit. Um, let me just very quickly remind everybody uh, just a couple of things. I want to make a couple of notes here uh, on the show. Uh, 
next week for both of the shows, of course, uh, every Tuesday from 9 to 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, uh, I have the Women of Golf show with my uh, very special co-host, uh, LPGA Professional Legends Tour player, Cindy Miller, uh, who joins me uh, each and every Tuesday. Next Tuesday, which is the 5th, I believe, of December, is going to be the last show for 2017, uh, and we will be uh, firing back up again on February 6th uh, in 2018. So December 5th, uh, which is next Tuesday, will be the last show of this year. We were going to go uh, a little bit longer, but uh, unfortunately we had to uh, uh, close it off a, a week earlier just to some scheduling conflicts. Uh, and also uh, the same with Golf Talk Live. December uh, 7th, which is next Thursday, will be the last Golf Talk Live show of the 2017 season, and we'll be firing that back up on February 8th. Now, just another quick side note uh, with respect to that. Uh, Golf Talk Live, of course, is a two-hour show, as most of you know, uh, and uh, always proceeds with a, a great round of Coach's Corner. The Coach's Corner panel segment will not uh, commence until the first Thursday of March of next year. So the show will start. I'll have some great guests and some other uh, great topics and that, that we'll have discussed for the first month uh, as the show uh, gets ready to, to relaunch for next year. Uh, but Coach's Corner will not uh, officially take place until the first Thursday. And I, unfortunately, I don't have that date in front of me uh, in March. So uh, that'll give time for the panelists to check their schedules and to make sure we get the schedule put together, which I will. I know I was supposed to have it out by the end of the month, and it is the end of the month. Um, but I'll be sending that out here uh, real quick in the next uh, few days. So keep an eye out for you coaches out there and teach professionals that have either been on the Coach's Corner panel uh, and want to come back on for next year. I'll be sending that email out here real quick. Um, and for those of you that maybe are tuning into the show and uh, maybe you're a teach professional or a golf coach and uh, you'd like to throw your hat into the mix on uh, Coach's Corner, uh, shoot me an email. My email address is ted.golftalklive at gmail.com. That's ted.golftalklive at gmail.com. And uh, I will make sure that I send a copy of the Coach's Corner schedule out to you uh, in the next week or so. So if you want to be included in it, make sure you send me an email um, indicating your, your interest in, in being a part of the Coach's Corner panel. Or maybe you've been on the panel uh, in the past and for some reason you've fallen away for the last year or so to other, uh, because of other scheduling uh, commitments and you want to come back in. Always welcome to have you come back in on the uh, panel discussions. We've got a lot of great shows coming up uh, in the new year, so you definitely want to jump on board for that. So again, reach out to me at ted.golftalklive at gmail.com. Uh, as I mentioned, my special guest tonight, I've already uh, read out uh, most of the information, but let me just uh, remind you, uh, Joshua Jacobs is my special guest tonight, and he is the CEO of TGA Premier Golf, and he's ready here now, so let me bring him on board, and we'll uh, continue some more great discussion here on Golf Talk Live. Good evening, Joshua, and welcome. Hi, Ted. How are you? I I'm doing very well. Should I say welcome back, uh, Joshua? You've been on the show, I know, before. And uh, glad that we were able to connect again and have you back on uh, uh, as uh, our second last show of the season. And uh, we're getting ready for an exciting uh, 2018, as I know you are. And uh, so thank you, and, and I appreciate you uh, joining me on the show tonight. No, of course. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Oh, always a pleasure. Uh, all right, Josh, I've already read out, uh, as I mentioned to the, to the listeners, I've already read out um, all, all of the background uh, information on TGA and that. But um, I, I want to just talk about one of the things uh, about TGA's franchising model. Um, you know, I mentioned that as well, and it's really become one of the fastest-growing 
uh, introductory golf programs in the industry, and you're able to now boast with, with literally over three-quarters of a million participants to date. Um, how did you come up with this franchise idea with schools, and why has this introductory program become so successful? What, what's, uh, what's sort of the magic formula, if you will, uh, and for the success of this program? Well, I think, I think the magical formula is that it's, it's more about the model uh, and the infrastructure of the business than, than it is about the curriculum. I'm, I'm not disputing any of our curriculums, and they're, and, and they're great in terms of being a lot more than just about golf. But it, it, what we've come to learn is that golf is grown by uh, local stakeholders and communities. And right now, those local stakeholders are the PGA and LPGA professionals. And they're mainly based right. at they're mainly based at the golf courses. And as we all know, you know, ninety seven percent of America doesn't play golf and the majority of the messaging that's going out to the golf industry is is to people who already play. And so what we're right. doing is we're making golf available and accessible to those who don't play by bringing it to schools, community centers. You know, we start them as young as three and pre K. Uh, we're concentrated mainly in elementary schools. That's really that sweet spot in five to ten years old, and we go as high up as as middle schools. So I, I think right. the the model is really the differentiating factor in having a local stakeholder who is vested in growing the sport. That that's really what differentiates us. Yeah, and that's a great, great point. The other thing, too, that, that was really interesting when I was reading out some of the information, which really sort of struck me, was that the immense percentage, I mean, 70-plus percent of all of the participants and their parents have never played golf before trying your program uh, and, and being involved with TGA, um, which, again, is really going after a lot of the millennials uh, and bringing them and attracting them into the this, this sport. Uh, again, you know, this is something that the golf industry has been trying to do for a number of years unsuccessfully. What do you equate that to? Obviously, you, you've run a successful business model. And what can the industry learn from what you're doing uh, to maybe even further expand other programs out there uh, to be able to get after this market? Well, I think there are some successful programs out there. Um, you know, Chris Hart with Next Gen Golf does a does a great job uh, with attracting millennials. Yes. Uh, so I, I think there is some traction there. Um, I think if that can get some some additional traction scale, it'll be extremely beneficial to the industry. Uh, but what what we do differently is we're kind of going the back route, right? So we're um, mm -hmm. we're getting the kids first, and then we're getting the parents. And what we've learned is that if, if when our parents don't play uh, and the kids play, yes. that they want to get involved. Golf is, um, golf is more of an uh, individualistic sport, and, and it takes a lot of time. And, and as we all know, it, sometimes it can be cost prohibitive. So when, mm -hmm. we get the, when we get the kids, we're able to get the parents. I think that's the differentiation between what the industry is doing right now. And they're trying to get the parents first. Um, and they're a hard group to catch, you know, millennials. Uh, yes. They they want different things than what the industry is selling, and so it really lessens right. the demand for the program at that level. But if we can get the kids, and then we can make it fun, and then we can engage the whole family, we've got a greater opportunity for success. Yeah, and, and you're you're exactly right uh, um, in your analogy. You know, one of the uh, I think one of the problems with the industry that I've seen as well is going after the parents. 
um, that have never played before. I mean, it's good. We want to encourage uh, new golfers, but if they're already in their thirties and maybe even in their forties and have never played, it's much harder to get them involved in something that they've never played as a youngster. Whereas if you, as you pointed out, if you get the kids involved and they're excited and interested in playing, the parents will naturally gravitate. It's much like any other sport. You know, if they're, if they're, you know, if little Johnny is interested in playing football or soccer or baseball, the parents want to come out and be supportive. And if the child is interested in playing golf in this particular case, then, and even not necessarily at a collegiate level or, or even, you know, has aspirations of, of playing on the tour one day, but just enjoys playing it, then the parents are more inclined to want to get involved as well, to, be, to participate somehow with their child. So I think it's a great approach that you have here, and it's definitely something that, that the industry really needs to take note on. And you've obviously done a great job because you've been on a lot of advisory boards uh, talking about this very thing, uh, correct? Yeah, you know, I, I think the industry does some, some great things when it comes to talking to consumers. But uh, one of the challenges that we face with only 3% of America playing golf is we face a consumer education challenge. Parents don't really know what to do with their kids if they have an interest in, sport, in, in golf. And, and once they have an interest, they need to have more information on a player pathway for where they can take their, their newfound passion in the sport. We all know that we, we, we've got the golf bug, right? So we want to right. be able to, we want to instill that into the kids and the parents, which is only going to progress it further. And, and, and I think that we can uh, do a little better job programs that activate kids that are scalable and replicable across the country. Um, a lot of other industries do that. And I'm not just saying sports. I mean, you've got tech, right. the tech world does a great job at that with their incubators. Oh, so um, yep. yeah, I, I think that there's a tremendous opportunity out there because once you activate the kids and you engage them, you have that open line of communication to the parents. And that's where we excel. Uh, we're always giving them progress reports on, on what the kids are doing. Uh, we're always telling them the next step. And, you know, we have their data. So we have the ability to communicate with them. And that's, and that's, what, that's what millennials yeah. want. They want to be communicated with. They want to be in the know. Right, exactly. Um, you know, this past Tuesday, I had on my other program, Women of Golf Show, which really focuses towards the female market. Um, my co-host, uh, LPJ professional Cindy Miller, and I, we had the honor and pleasure of, of having Susie Whaley, who is uh, a uh, vice president of the PGA of America and is actually going to be the, the first female, the first woman um, president of the PGA of America next fall, uh, which is a huge, huge milestone. And, you know, she talked about how the, the biggest uh, growth in the game is actually young female golfers ages roughly about 6 to 17. Are you noticing that trend as well through your programs is that you're getting a lot of female uh, participation now? Uh, absolutely. We have 40% female participation. In regards to Susie, I, I know her, and she's going to be a, a wonderful president of the PGA um, she runs tremendous programs out there in the Hartford area, yep. and, and she's going to be a wonderful advocate for the, for the sport and the industry. Um, yeah, we're 40% female participation now, and, and what we've learned is through our programs of making golf available and accessible by bringing it to the masses, it really increases the probability of females attending our programs because it's very convenient, um, it's not threatening, and they can do it with their friends mm-hmm. in a familiar environment. And it's, it's a little bit different sell right. than with the male group, 
but uh, overall, uh, when you can add those factors together and you can you, you can provide that solution, your probability increases that they're going to that they're they're going to partake in the activity. Now, what do you specifically in in your programs? You obviously um, have factored in a, an approach, if you will, to, to teaching the game to the kids, uh, and particularly kids that have never played before. What what specifically do you do? I mean, you're obviously not just taking them out in the golf course and and uh, hitting golf balls. There's there's another component to it. Talk a little bit about a little bit more detail about how the program works and and how you introduce uh, some of these kids that have never played the game before. How do you introduce them to the game? Uh, so first things first, you know, when we uh, what separates our program is is bring it into the schools and the community centers, and so we need to make it as much about uh, the academic progress. As, as it is about the golf progress for the students. We have to be able to, you know, sell golf to schools to be able to teach it there. And so what right. we do is, number the, the first thing that we do is we make a station-based curriculum. So it's fun. The kids are never mm-hmm. standing in line. They're always doing something. They're exercising. Uh, they're learning about rules and etiquette. They're doing academic subjects as it relates to golf. And, and we're now one of the, I think we were the first, but now we're one of the only programs out there to do STEM labs uh, in, in, in our programs, and that's science, technology, engineering, oh. and mathematics. We do 25-minute uh, wow. STEM labs, I believe, every other week where they're learning about those concepts as it relates to golf. So as they're, as they're actually learning golf and they're playing it for the first time, they're actually understanding how and why it, 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 it happens. And that's really the key to for us and our model and bringing it to the masses that it's really key is that it needs to be more than just golf. And then obviously hiring and training instructors and coaches who, who make it fun and engage the kids. That's, that's just as important because, you know, parents bond to brands, especially in youth sports, but the kids bond to people. They bond, they bond to coaches. So we need to make sure that we, we touch upon both, both the curriculum as well as, uh, as well as have the branding be consistent throughout our programs to increase that, that probability that they're going to stay in the player pathway and stay in golf. Yeah, well said. Um, and, and I agree wholeheartedly with you, um, Joshua, as well. Uh, you know, bringing it into the schools, I think this is something that has been long overdue for golf. I mean, every, virtually every other sport, uh, certainly the major sports, uh, has, has been very well-rooted in the school system. And golf is with the exception, again, of collegiate uh, golf and, and even some high school golf, uh, really has not, uh, at the elementary stage anyways, has been, and part of it has been, I mean, of course, cost and, and uh, accessibility to courses and things like that. But you've obviously developed a program that you can actually take into the schools, uh, introduce into the game, and then, and we're going to talk about this here in just a moment, but uh, now you've actually even created a player pathway to help not only juniors but the families as well uh, take it from the schools out to the golf course. So you've actually uh, funneled it very, uh, very smartly in taking it to the next stage, if you will. So talk a little bit about that. How does that work? And, and how have you so far uh, with some of the feedback, how is that helping to impact uh, maybe some of your courses that uh, you're working with? So we transition about 35% of our kids and families that we can track uh, from schools to the golf course. So we're, we've proven that you can bridge introductory programs from non-golf facilities to golf facilities. And as I said before, you've got 
two reasons why you're doing that. Number one is kids bond to people. And so you, you have coaches who are not only in your school programs, but they're also in your, your golf course programs and your more recreational programs. So I'll get into in a second. The second is the branding. You know, we're mm-hmm. the first touch to golf. So when they see TGA Premier Golf, they're also seeing it being offered throughout the community at, at the golf courses. So we have the ability right. to really tell the story, tell the tale, and, and, and really solve that consumer education problem. And what we do is is we offer these programs at, at the facilities, at the golf courses, and we offer recreational programs such as camp, clinic, play days, even, even parent-child events to engage the entire family. And, and that is really what gets the player pathway started. If you can get them – from introductory to recreational, you have a higher probability of getting them to the competitive level. And as we all know, that's the pinnacle of junior golf. I mean, we have, I think it's 3 million kids that play junior golf. And I think there's over 300,000 kids that, that play competitively. And that's an incredibly high rate compared to some other sports and their participation. So, uh, you know, with college scholarships available and, you know, the, the lucrativeness now of the PGA Tour, uh, you've got a lot of room for people to to see the opportunity for the growth. Yeah, and, and that's a, something that I've been very excited about. And, and you know, when Susie was on, she talked about we talked about some of the stats that were out there, and 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 how many, especially the young girls that were coming into the game. Um, and and you know, we we want to get them early enough. You know, I've had many other guests on the show that that run a lot of different junior programs, and they said that one of the key elements is getting them young enough. Um, before they get entrenched in something else. Now, that doesn't mean, you know, we don't want them to play other sports. I mean, that, we're not that unrealistic. But if they're not introduced to golf early on, then the percentage of them uh, taking up the game later in life uh, decreases quite a bit. So obviously you had to do some research along the way to, to look into that. Um, what are some of the findings that you're seeing and how young uh, do you uh, work with? How what age group do you start at uh, with, with TGA Premier? Uh, so we start them as young as three in pre-K, and I, I think the key for golf is to put them on a level playing field of all of the other core sports. Um, the other core sports you can play at schools, whether elementary school, middle schools, et cetera. But, uh, you know, golf has never really had the opportunity to be put on those campuses. So you can start them as young as you can, you know, starting, I, I, I would say starting at three, as long as you've got the right program, the right equipment, and you have the right form to be able to do it so, there is latent demand for the sport of golf, and people want to learn it. So uh, yes. it, it's there. We just have to go take it to them and make it available to them. And, and that's really what, you know, TGA is known for. So I, I feel confident that uh, that, that we're in good hands when it comes to growing the sport, especially amongst the female, the female level, uh, the female uh, gender. Mm-hmm. We, have, we have that opportunity, again, when it comes to females. Uh, it's non-threatening. It's with their friends. It's in a safe environment. And that's really the first step to get them comfortable and on their way to becoming a, a golfer. Yeah. <laughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> Pardon me. And that's a great point, too, uh, Joshua, because, you know, um, young girls particularly are very social creatures, much more than young boys. I mean, young boys will pal around with their friends, but they can do things on their own. Girls like to be in a group environment and feel less threatened when they're in in a group environment. And this is one of the the problems that, 
you know, I've heard over the years for young girls that, that maybe don't have aspirations of, of playing competitive golf is, well, I want to do something that my friends do. So obviously, again, you've made it enticing enough uh, and the fact that they're able to play with, with peers of not uh, just the boys, but also within their, their own gender. So it makes it a more comfortable environment for them and, and non-threatening, as you said, um, so they're more inclined to, to want to get involved. The other thing, too, that I want to just touch on real quick, and, and I'm sure this is something that you're thinking about down the road as well, um, is more and more people, especially women as they get into adulthood, are starting to uh, understand the benefits of business golf. Um, you know, not everybody's cut out to, to play on, on the tour or, or even play collegiate golf, but at some point in their career, there are opportunities that can open up through the golf course. Uh, is this something as well that you try to incorporate? I mean, obviously not with the, the three-year-old, but as you work through the program to make them aware of other opportunities that could be available down the road, uh, you know, should they take up golf? Uh, you know, Ted, we, we, we want to be, we want to be mindful of, of, of what we're great at. Um, I don't think we want to be a jack of all trades and a master of none. So we, we recognize right. when it comes to these introductory and recreational programs, uh, when it comes to kids and families, that that's really where we want to be. When it comes to the, the parents, okay. we have a great opportunity to, to, you know, provide communication to them in terms of what's available in their area. And, and that's where right. we would really look to pass them off in terms of the golf, the golf courses and the professionals. But I can tell you, we, we've tried this in the past. Um, it's not that it hasn't worked. It just hasn't been our concentration. And when it comes to that, right. that, that female population about business, absolutely, there's a huge demand for it. And, and I, right. I, I believe the successes lie in making it fun uh, believe it or not, having a bit yep. of, of alcohol or socialism or, or, or social uh, right. social aspects involved, <laughs> but that's, uh, yeah, not, right. not socialism. But uh, but yeah, that's those are really the keys. Uh, you get you, you know you get them to be in a non-threatening environment, and and you've got a social setting for them and a group setting. Just like you said, that's that's really the key. But but for us, we're going to pass them onto the golf courses and let the golf courses take those programs. Um, we want them to. It's, it's, it's really benefiting them. We're, we're already growing the pie for them in terms of bringing them new participants. Uh, we're generating revenue, and we partner with over 250 golf courses across the country. We're generating revenue for them wow. because we're, we're running camps and we're running clinics for them, and we're bringing them new clientele. It's, it's very non-threatening, and, uh, and, and it's really a great win-win situation, especially with us in the communities being able to, to bring in not only the people that we – activate directly with our programs, but also we have the ability to directly to the entire schools in the districts. So we have the ability to activate an entire community. Um, and, and, and we feel like that's a powerful message to have. Yeah, that that's huge. I, I agree with you, Joshua. Um, and, and, you know, obviously the fact that you're bringing, uh, you know, the game and the sport into the school system um you're also creating an opportunity that uh, as they grow, they can take it whatever direction they want. If they want to, you know, as I say, if they're going to be young entrepreneurs at some point and they want to incorporate that, the main thing is you're in a sense planting the seed, if you will, uh, in, in a lot of these youngsters that maybe otherwise wouldn't have had that opportunity unless their families have already played golf. Um, I, I want to touch on something else too. Um, and that's obviously the cost factor 
you know, one of the biggest uh, problems that has been in golf and one of the reasons why I think it's been so slow in, in getting into uh, schools and into even communities on a greater level is the fact that golf traditionally has been a much more expensive sport than many other sports out there uh, to get involved with. Um, and you guys provide, uh, you actually provide all the equipment for the, for the program, including your own line of golf clubs for kids. Um, obviously, there was a, a need for that. Why do you feel it's important? And, and describe how big of a barrier to, uh, of entry into golf you think the equipment can be for beginners. Well, certainly having the right equipment in order to fit the, the beginners is extremely important because, you know, these kids are choosing and, and the parents are choosing 30 to 40 plus activities to get involved with. And they need to have success quickly. Right. And we all know that success with golf, it doesn't come quick. Uh, we, we all know that. Right. And so if you have right. Uh, right size custom fit equipment for kids, uh, you're going to have a higher probability of success that they're going to get, you know, they're going to get the balls up in the air. They're going to, to mm-hmm. see that. I mean, I can tell you the reason I was hooked on this program, the first class that I ever taught, it was like a six-year-old, if I remember correctly, it was in first grade and he was having an okay time. And then all of a sudden he hit a ball up in the air and he had the biggest smile on his face watching that. And from yep. there he was hooked. <laughs> But if you don't, but it, right. you know, we all know because we, most of us grew up with cut down clubs that were too heavy, et cetera. And, and you, yep. you may not have experienced that success unless you had, you know, significant athletic ability or it was just, it was just built inside of you. So for us, right. that custom fit equipment is essential uh, when it comes to activating these kids and engaging the families because their success is going to come that much quicker. Uh, we do have our own equipment line. Uh, we have both both boys and girls clubs. There's five different sizes for each and we use it to custom fit the kids and, and all programs, whether it's their first time playing golf or, or, you know, they're 40 weeks into the program. Uh, golf needs that. We need to break down the barrier of how quickly, uh, of, of how, of how long it takes people to get good at golf. And that's certainly one component to it. So uh, I, I can't stress enough. I know there's been a huge movement uh, in the golf world to do that, especially at the adult level. And it's, it's one of the best movements right. we've had. It's now time, though, to grow that base, grow participation, and, and do it for everybody. You know, one of the things that, that impresses me about um, your approach to this program with, with respect to the equipment is one of the other criticisms of the industry is it's always, um, you know, this sort of eliminates the excuse of, well, it's, it's a, a, a rich man sport, so to speak. You can actually go into, uh, you know, even into inner city communities with your program at some point, if you're not already. And because you're now making it all encompassing, including the equipment, there's no cost, um, you know, issue for, for a lot of these participants anymore. And this is a big barrier that the golf industry has tried to, to, you know, to overcome and it sounds like you've sort of helped that, that process along by doing what you're doing. W- would that be an a- accurate assumption? Well, I think anytime you can make golf available to the masses in a program that, that, that fits across every demographic, yeah, you're breaking down those barriers of, of elitism. And, yeah, I mean, that, that is the way golf is known. But as we all know, I mean, the, the average rate to play a public golf course is, I think it was like $32, if I'm not mistaken, at the last calculation. So it is affordable. 
it's it's just a matter right. of, of when you get into the game, and then once you engage the new golfers, how we keep them in the game. So it's not only engaging new golfers, but it's also retaining the new golfers. And that's going to be done through consumer education. It's going to be done through programs executed at every level of a, of a, golfer's, of a golfer's pathway, and that's introductory, recreational, and competitive. I think the golf industry does an amazing job at the competitive level. Uh, we have so many great programs, right. especially at the junior golf level. I mean, we've got the drive, chip, and putt. Got you know, PGA Junior mm-hmm. League golf. They are they are as much introductory and recreational as competitive. But with their national championship, um, it certainly has that competitive element to it. Uh, we have AJGA. Right. We have the PGA sections. We have uh, it's just it's phenomenal the amount of growth and opportunities that kids have to play competitive golf. Uh, when when you circle back though the introductory level in growing the pie and the participants in golf is, is more relevant now than it ever has been. And, and so we, we, that, that to me is where the industry needs to shift its focus a little bit. All right, well, we've got the pinnacle for where you can go with it, you know, college scholarships and all and tours, et cetera, but we need to grow the pie. We need to grow that pyramid yes. and that base. Because that is what affects the entire industry. That is what affects the yeah, manufacturers. Exact- that's what affects the that's what affects the apparel companies. That's what affects the the magazines, the radio shows, the tour, the viewers, everybody. And so I think I'm I'm hopeful that over the next you know two to five years the industry looks you know looks strongly at increasing introductory programs in in the system. Yeah, I, I agree wholeheartedly, and and this is something that I, I I agree with you. I think is starting to happen now. It's it's like anything, any change that you make, uh, sometimes can be slow growing, but I think there's there's a momentum building now that people are hungry for. It. I mean, with with the introduction of of organizations like Top Golf that have you know sort of gone into approaching golf from a different market uh, has also been good for the game as well. And I think that you know my generation, I'm, you know, I'm 50 plus, um, you know, we've been playing golf. I grew up, you know, my father took me out to the first time to the driving range and, you know, then we went out on the golf course and, you know, so it was sort of ingrained from a very early age, but a lot of the youngsters coming up in today's society, um, are, are, are don't have the same opportunities because the, the generations are different. They have different interests. There's, there's more competition for their time. So it's even more important that we get them started, as I said earlier, started younger uh, to give them an opportunity and increase that pie. Because, you know, as you pointed out, um, Joshua, you know, it's great that we've got all of these different organizations that are ultimately um, increasing junior golf competitively, but that's a very, very small percentage of golfers out there um, that are ever going to make it to that level, even collegiately um, that just don't have the skill set. So, you know, you have to have something in place that will cover the rest of the folks out there that maybe don't have aspirations of playing on the LPGA or the PGA tour, but would like to play and enjoy the game. So there has to be some way of introducing them to the sport as well and not feel that they're emboldened to follow some uh, competitive path. Um, and it sounds like you've got a great formula with TGA of doing just that. Uh, so kudos to you and your team. Um, you know, one of the interesting things, Joshua, is as we sort of wind down, um, 
you know, the season where, you know, winter's approaching here, the weather's going to start getting a little cooler. I mean, it's still pretty mild uh, in a lot of areas, but it's going to start getting cold. Um, one of the great things, I want you to talk a little bit about that, about the advantage of your program is that you can run it all year round. Talk about that and some of the benefits uh, of being able to do that. Well, we, we realized very early on when we started the program in Los Angeles in 2003 and we franchised the concept in 2007, we had a number of inquiries in 2005, 2006 from around the country, especially from the East Coast, about, you know, how does this program work? Can you do it year round? Tell us what, what you know and we'd like to start it up. And we realized very quickly that, again, there is demand for people to learn golf. And so... We know yes. that we had to create a curriculum <clears throat> that works year-round. And so we, we, have a, we have a multi-level curriculum along with a station-based curriculum. It's multiple levels. So it's five levels that keeps the kids engaged and invested in the sport. And there, is a, there are some statistics out there that show that the more money parents spend on a sport, the more likely they are to stay in it. So the more vested you are, the more right. likely you are to stay in the sport. And, and what we did was is we created a curriculum that, you know, was not only station-based and multi-level, but also had the ability to be done indoors and outdoors. And I think I really knew that that was, was going to happen because in 2003, one of the first six schools that I ever did, I had 17 kids sign up in a hallway to learn golf, in a hallway. Wow. So we knew that there wow. was a man, but we also but we also knew that, if you're going to expand this nationwide and, and, and really get, get throughout the country, it has to be able to be done anywhere. And the only thing that prohibits us is the amount of space that we have. So we, we do it in gymnasiums. We do it in hallways. We do it in auditoriums, classrooms. Uh, it, it, you know, like I said, indoors and outdoors, it's just a matter of the space that prohibits the, the number of kids that can sign up for the program. Uh, but, yeah, you're 100% correct. We want to keep people engaged with sport. And, and, and it can start with programs, that's for sure. Yeah, one of the, one of the uh, I guess, criticisms I've had for the industry for a long time is, and I've been around it for, for many, many years, is that the perception that people have had, you know, for, forget the money aspect for, for a moment, but is the fact that when you, any adver advertisements that you see pertaining to golf generally are focused around uh, the competitive side of golf, you know, the PGA, the LPGA tour, or, um, you know, maybe in a local or state level, you might see um, the AGGA or, and, and different organizations like that promoting there. Um, but so when, you know, when an individual sees that right away, it works a little bit as a negative, unless they've, they've kind of got the, that, you know, feeling inside that, Hey, I'd like to do that. Or I want to, you know, get out and play competitively. So right away, it's not being programmed or promoted as a sport for everybody that wants to just go out and have some fun. It's it's prevented. It's promoted, excuse me, as more of a competitive. And I've had a lot of people over the years say that to me that you know, well, I'm never going to be good enough to play that. And so that's obviously something that you guys, when you put this together, um, Joshua, that you've had to take into consideration. You've had to sort of change the mindset of those communities and say golf is not just about the PGA or the LPGA tour. It's also about, you know, just going out having fun with friends or family or whatever the case is. What did you do specifically that you can recall to, to really um, combat a lot of this mass marketing and mass meeting that media that's been done over, over decades 
Um, was there anything specific that you tried to do to to combat that? Well, I, I think the industry uh, certainly does concentrate on the competitive aspects of golf, but uh, I, I think the key is is that the golf industry continues to focus on talking to golfers. And the way to combat this is to talk about is to talk about golf to people who don't play in addition to, to current golfers, right? You want to retain your best customers, right. but you also but you also want to engage new ones. And I think naturally by growing the pie and growing that pyramid that we talk about you're mm-hmm. going to have people right. who aren't just interested in the competitive aspects of golf. I mean, if you go to a public course these days, you're seeing all walks of life. And that's a great thing. That's right. what golf needs. Yes. Um, now, you, you know, you brought up, you brought up programs like, like Top Golf and some of their, you know, their, their, I think there's two or three competitors that they have already because the model yes. is thought after, right? It's basically bowling for golf. Um, and, and, right. and it has some merit. <laughs> Well, I mean, it, it, it kind of is right. if you think about it. I mean, it's, it's a wonderful niche that they found, and they're filling a void. But, but overall, I mean, that's kind of that's kind of what it what it is. And sure, and I, I think they're going to be I think they're going to be tremendously successful with it. I I'm curious to see how competition changes that model. But, but overall, if we can activate people who don't play, and speak to them as much as we speak to people who do play the industry has a mm. higher probability of success. And when I talk about the industry, I'm including top golf and those competitors that are popping up into it because whether or not it's right. bowling or golf or whatever we're going to call it, it's still a form of golf. And if we're promoting that and they have great food there and they have great ambiance and, and, and they're, they're going to have a greater probability of success themselves. Yeah. I, uh, Joshua, the reason why I'm laughing is uh, on my previous segment uh, on the coaches corner panel tonight, myself and my other uh, earlier guests, you know, we, we actually brought up top golf and that was one of the things I said was it, it reminds me of when I was growing up uh, the same concept as, you know, at that time it was the bowling alley. That's what we, we did as uh, you know, we were teens and, you know, we wanted to get out of the house and, and mingle with friends and it was a great social uh, thing. Uh, but I'm like you. I mean, there's so many other options out there, and I hope, uh, you know, I, I wish whoever, uh, whatever business, uh, you know, nothing but success. But I hope that they learn to find ways of expanding beyond that um, that concept. And and you know, and I think some of the competition coming out may may find some other avenues as well. Because uh, you know, you're obviously talking about a, a facility that you know, uh, is going to have overhead and things like that. And eventually that, that roller coaster ride is going to come dip down again. So they need to have another way of, of funneling it on to, to another uh, part of it, much like what you're doing with, with your programs. Um, how does one start if, if let's say a school, let's say somebody, an educator is listening to the program tonight and they're not familiar with that. How would they go about getting TGA to, to get involved in their school? What, what's the process and, and how does it work? Um, well, first of all, you want to identify if we have a franchise in the area. Uh, you know, going back to the point of, uh, you know, golf is going to be grown with a local stakeholder in a community, and that right. is, that's that's going to be one of the keys to success. So for us, we need to have a, a franchise in the area, and if they have that, uh, you know, we have a website www.playtga.com. It has all the information on on our programs, 
and, and schools can take a look at it and, and, and really see the nuts and bolts of it and how it, how it can impact them and their students and their families. And we feel like we've, we've really created a win-win proposition for that. Uh, you know, they're very gracious mm-hmm. in the sense that they, they give us access to their facilities and, and to their students and their families. And, and in return, we provide a great enrichment program for them that is much more than just golf, and, and it really helps the community. Yep. Now, what from the franchise uh, uh, franchisee, if you will, let's say you have somebody uh, on the other side of the spectrum that maybe is in the golf industry. And uh, again, maybe your organization is not in their community. They have several, you know, schools that have expressed an interest. Um, what would they need to do? How do they, I mean, obviously they can reach out to you, but um, what are you looking for in order to help set up a successful franchise? Um, in terms of finding out, uh, in terms of finding out where they can get more information, or what are we looking for in terms of a successful franchisee? Uh, the second part. What are you looking for as far as a successful so, franchisee? So, so uh, you know, there, there's three things that we look for, uh, you know, from a general level. The first one is they need to be passionate about golf. Uh, the second one is they need to be passionate about kids, and the third one is is they need to be passionate about their community because that's what we're doing. We're impacting all three uh, of those concepts. So that's, that's really, uh, that's the core of our, of our successful franchise. And then from there, it's, we want type A personalities who want to go out there and they want to, you know, sell golf. And that's important because again, going back to the fact that the industry really just speaks to people who play golf for the most part. And in our case, we are talking to people who don't play and, and when we walk into a school, they don't know a lot about the golf industry. I mean, 10% of our schools know what the PGA of America is. So right. it's, it's, there, are, there are challenges and barriers at all levels, and we need, we need people who are outgoing and passionate about what they're doing. And that's I, – I can't stress that enough. I mean, you've got PGA and LPGA professionals who are – incredibly qualified to do what they do and they're so passionate about growing the sport but they're based predominantly at facilities so they're talking right to golfers we need the same type of stakeholder who can go out to their general community who don't play and and, and tell the same tale just to sort of clarify so you're not necessarily looking for and and you may actually want something entirely different you're not really looking for you know, maybe, uh, um, and that's not to say that you're omitting them, but necessarily a PJ or an LPJ professional, a, a teaching professional or a coach to necessarily spearhead a, a franchise in their area. I mean, that would be great on one hand, but again, because they're more facility-based, you're looking for somebody that obviously uh, is passionate about the game and obviously wants to be able to grow it within their community, but they don't necessarily have to be a qualified or certified uh, golf instructor. Is that correct? Am I on the right path there? Absolutely. Entrepreneurs comes in all, come in all shapes and sizes, whether they're, you know, we have a lot of PGA and LPGA professionals who run our program, but there's also entrepreneurs who are looking at making, making a livelihood out of growing golf and other sports in their area. And, and they're both wonderful solutions to, to, to the issue that we have in terms of growing participation. Uh, as far as the coaches that we have and the part-time coaches, again, all walks of life uh, who actually conduct the programs. We have, you know, college students, high school golfers, uh, seniors, parents who want to who, who want to give back, and it it really runs the gamut. But I, I think one of the key points to stress 
is when it comes to introductory programs, you don't have to be a certified professional in order to teach them. You're not trying to make Tiger Woods. You're trying to get a kid excited about golf, and that will be contagious with your personality. Right. I agree wholeheartedly. Um, Joshua, what's been some of the feedback from the parents now? You, you've obviously you're you're you know obviously focusing on both parents and kids, but primarily you're you're trying to get the kids excited and interested. What's been some of the feedback so far from some of the parents um, that have their child has maybe gone through um, you know your programs uh, at some of the schools? What's been some of the feedback um, that has helped you obviously to, to continue growing on and being successful? What, what's been some of the feedback so far? Well, all of our parents get surveyed at the end of the class. So we, we, we're fortunate to be able to get you know, very concrete feedback on our programs, which is, which is great for us to be able to, to accelerate them and make them better. But I, I would say the primary, the primary compliment that we get is that we make it convenient. It, it, it's right at the school. It's right at the pre-K center. It's right at the senior center. That's really what the parents love. They don't, they, we break down that barrier of transportation and, and, and cost because you don't have to buy a set of clubs, you don't have to buy shoes, you don't have to buy balls, you don't have to buy all the things that it takes to start up to be a golfer if you're going to go right to the golf course. So the cost, uh, the transportation issue, and the convenience that we solve, uh, that is, that's the top two compliments that we get. And then usually the third one is about the coaches. So it goes to show you that when it comes to growing introductory programs, the model and the, uh, and, and, and the way in which you scale it throughout the community is equally, if not as important as the curriculum that you use. Now, what about, um, you're exactly right, I, I agree wholeheartedly. What about the schools themselves? What's been some of the feedback um, from the schools that, that you've uh, now been involved with? Obviously, I'm sure that they're very excited, the fact that you're bringing uh, something new into their system um, that, again, is getting the kids kind of fired up as well. What's been some of the feedback from the school systems? Well, I think when you when you create a win-win situation for the schools, that's that's really what they like. You know, the first thing that they look at when we walk in is, okay, what's the liability? And we we use balls that can be uh, can be hit throughout anywhere inside the school. They don't break windows. They're they're not going to cause harm to the facility. Right. So, so they, they they appreciate that. That's the first thing when you walk in. You say, hey, I'd like to teach golf. I'd like to teach a golf enrichment program <laughs> at your school. They kind of they kind of look at you cockeyed. Right. Um, but then they, but then they yeah. kind of, uh, <laughs> they kind of loosen up once you throw a ball, right. once you throw one of our balls against the window and it doesn't break, they're like, Oh, okay. I see how it works now. Um, and you tell them you're going to bring in synthetic right. mats and, 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 and you're not going to cause any damage to floors or anything like that. Uh, but the, the, the school districts like it, it's the same thing, right? With the economy that we have now, you have more dual income families than you ever had before. So it provides a great after school solution. You're teaching them not only skill development with golf, but you're also teaching them life lessons, rules and etiquette, et cetera. And, and right. they love that as well. And then in a lot of cases, we actually give back a percentage of the revenue to the, the school. So we actually become a fundraiser for them as well. Oh, wow. Fantastic. Um, now, obviously, through word of mouth, um, not only through the kids and, and the parents, but also through the schools that you're not currently in, obviously, if they see that you're running a program at uh, maybe another local school that they haven't adopted yet, this is obviously, uh, again, goes to the win-win situation. It helps you get that foot in the door that much easier, correct? That's correct. Um, 
we've had instances where we've had uh, professionals call us up and say, you know, we, we, we tried to get into a school and they told us to go teach at a golf course. And so when you can show them a, a curriculum <clears throat> that, that brings those, when, that brings all those characteristics that I just said, you become an extension of the classroom and, and they look at you as a partner rather than just another program trying to gain access to their kids. Right. Right. And I'm sure like anything, you know, you're obviously going to have some pushback uh, as well. Now you mentioned earlier in the beginning of the, of the segment um, that uh, you're in what, 250 plus schools. How many States uh, is TGA uh, and what's your, some of your future plans um, uh, as far as expansion goes, where, where are you looking at targeting next uh, specifically? So actually, we partner with 250 facilities, but we're in about 3,400 schools across the country. Um, okay. So, so we're we're in we're in I think it's 29 or 30 states now. Um, where where, oh, wow. where we're really looking to grow and penetrate is is the Midwest. Um, that's uh, that's going to be key for us. If you look at our our, our chief uh, demographic in who we hit, it, it kind of makes a U around the United States. Starts in the Northwest and drops down and then goes along the south and then up the eastern seaboard. That's where we're most concentrated, but there's a ton of opportunity to, to start a franchise up in, in almost every area. Uh, but that's really where our concentration is. The, the Midwest is going to be really key for us to, to penetrate next. Yeah, and, and you know as you said, what's nice about the programs is the fact that because they can be run all year round, uh, weather obviously is not, I mean, within reason is not, I mean, obviously if you have major storms or, or things as we've experienced this year, there, there would be some issues, but, um, uh, you know, if you have a little snow on the ground or, or, uh, what have you, that's certainly not going to stop the programs from, uh, from happening. And, um, I think it's great what you're doing. Um, well, Joshua, I, I want to thank you for coming on and, and I want to give you this, uh, last few moments, uh, opportunity just to, um, you know, share with the viewers if they want to get more information, um, both about uh, the program itself, but also uh, maybe uh, those that are listening out there that might be interested in, in uh, pursuing a franchise uh, opportunity uh, with TGA, how they can go about doing that. Uh, thanks. Uh, the best way to do it is, is to go to playtga.com, and it's got a franchise section in it that you can click on. It's got all the information about the business, about the program, anything that you need to know about, about our program and the model is, is in there. So it's, uh, we, we, we've really strived hard to, to, to build the infrastructure and efficiency of our business to grow golf quicker within communities while providing an opportunity for people to, you know, earn a living doing this, being vested in growing the sport and, and building equity in a business that they can one day, sell or, or, or keep for a long time. And, and we see it go both ways with, with the franchises that we have. Well said. Uh, and what could the, the industry itself, what would you like to see happen? Uh, obviously you want to continue to expand uh, your model, but um, what can the, uh, the golf industry itself do uh, to help encourage uh, and, and gain some momentum, even further momentum than what's already been happening? Um, what can we do on our end, I guess, uh, to help further uh, what what your agenda is. Well, I don't. I don't. It's not just my agenda. Um, it, it, it's right. It, I, it I, needs to be. It, it no, no, absolutely. It needs to be the industry's agenda, and that's growing the number of, of participants in, in in our industry. Um, but I think the key to doing that is to have everybody work together more. 
uh, and also not concentrate right. so much on the competitive, not concentrate so much on the competitive programs. Uh, you know, right now, golf's in a good place. Obviously, Tiger came back today. Uh, everyone's really excited about that. Yep. And <laughs> what it does is, yep. and there's there's a, there's a great there's a great misconception in the golf world, and that is that the popularity of the tour or tour players grow golf, and and that's just not true. Um, what they do is no. they increase the demand for us to grow golf, but they increase the demand and the probability for us to create new golfers. But in order to do that, you have to have these introductory programs that can engage these potential new golfers. And that to me is where the industry can move forward together, whether it's with juniors, millennials, uh, anyone, parents, etc. And it, that's what the industry can do is to work together, create this player pathway and continue to fund people, you know, throughout our industry. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, and and you, you're, you've hit it right on the head. Um, you're, you're exactly right, Joshua. And, and I really hope, and I'm, I'm, I'm very confident, um, you know, after speaking with her this past week, and I'm, I'm, I know, obviously, Susie Whaley uh, quite well, but um, I, I have no doubt that when she takes over next year, that we're going to see some some great initiatives being uh, taken uh, through the PGA of America uh, that I think is going to help do exactly what uh, what you're talking about because I think that's really part of her uh, mission as well is to you know we all want to grow the game and we've we talk about all different ideas and how we can do that but as you said it can't be all at the competitive level it has to be in other areas of the pie as well and um, I, I thank you Joshua for doing what you do at, um, with TGA Premier Golf. Um, it's a great, uh, a great model and I wish you much continued success and, uh, please continue to, to reach out if there's anything I can do to, uh, not only spread the word, but to, to help, uh, in any way, I'll be more than happy to, but, um, thank you for joining me, Joshua on uh, golf talk live. It's been fun. Thank you, sir. Appreciate the time. All right. You have a great evening. Thanks, man. We'll talk. All right, that was my very special guest, uh, Joshua Jacobs, the CEO of TJ Premier Golf, uh, joining me here on Golf Talk Live. And if you want to uh, learn more about uh, the concept itself uh, of, of some of the programs that uh, are offered, uh, or maybe, as I said, uh, you're interested in maybe uh, learning more about franchising opportunities, uh, go to www.playtga.com. And uh, you can just navigate to the website there and it has all the uh, links necessary to, uh, to uh, find out more about what TGA has to offer, uh, both as a franchisee and also uh, maybe if you're in a school that uh, would like to know more about what programs are offered, uh, you can check them out there at playtga.com. I want to, again, once again, thank my very special guests uh, on the Coach's Corner panel, John Decker and Clint Wright, for joining me here on Golf Talk Live tonight. Uh, always enjoy having them on the Coach's Corner panel. And uh, it's, uh, it's always a pleasure to have all of the coaches on, of course. We have a, a good time, and we try to keep it light and fun and, and uh, interesting, and hopefully um, we'll be able to do even more next year uh, as we move in. And speaking of which, uh, next Thursday, uh, or actually back up next Tuesday, uh, December 5th, will be uh, the last uh, broadcast of the Women of Golf show uh, with my co-host LPJ uh, professional Cindy Miller and I uh, for 2017. So December 5th will be the last, uh, which airs uh, from 9 to 10 a.m. Eastern uh, on blogtalkradio.com. 
And uh, on December the 7th, which is next Thursday, will be the last episode uh, broadcasting for Golf Talk Live uh, here on the blogtalkradio.com network. And uh, that airs from 6 to 8 p.m. Central. So uh, December 5th, Tuesday, December 5th for the Women of Golf and December 7th uh, for Golf Talk Live will be the last shows for uh, 2017. And then uh, for the Women of Golf, we'll be firing back up again on February the 6th. Uh, in 2018 for the women of golf and uh, respectively for golf talk live will be February the 8th. And as I mentioned earlier, uh, the coach's corner segment will be starting up the first Thursday of March. So uh, it'll just be the regular broadcasts uh, on February for golf talk live. And then the coach's corner panel will be firing back up uh, early part of March. So make sure you stay tuned to that. But on that note, I want to uh, thank everybody for, for tuning in tonight. And uh, appreciate it. Always uh, have a great time here. And just a couple of special thank yous to uh, all of you, first off and foremost, for faithfully tuning in uh, from literally all over the globe uh, each and every week. It's, it's through your efforts uh, and your participation, um, in addition to the many great coaches and teach professionals, authors, and, and many of the entrepreneurs that have stopped by the show over the last several years. Uh, it's really through all of your participation that helped make Golf Talk Live a first-class show. Um, and it's hard to believe, but we're going to be going into our sixth season for Golf Talk Live and into, I believe, season four uh, for the women of golf. So uh, lots of great shows coming up. A special thanks also to some of the sponsors and supporters of the show, Mr. Jonathan Laird from South Coast Golf Guide. Uh, go to southcoastgolfguide.com, and you can check that out as well. Uh, great publication that he's been producing for over 20 years uh, with some great uh, golf courses in the southeastern part of the United States from Texas right over here to the northwest part of Florida and all states in between. Uh, Meredith Kirk uh, from Meredith Kirk Golf, a great LPGA teach professional out in the uh, Myrtle Beach area. You can go to MeredithKirk.com as her website and check out all of the great information that she has. Uh, Nikki uh, and Tiffany Litherland, uh, Nikki and his lovely wife Tiffany, thank you for all of your continued support. Nikki, of course, is a great uh, golf professional as well. Uh, being a big supporter and, and fan of the show, and thank you for uh, helping to spread the word over the years, uh, and much continued success with uh, with your ventures as well. Uh, Mr. Bernie Pinder from Ontic Golf, a great line of customized putters. Uh, go to onticgolf.com, and you can check out those there. Thank you, Bernie, for all of your continued support. Uh, and uh, Mr. Sean Kelly, the owner of linkedgolfers.com, a great social media site. Uh, also, the um, uh, gentleman that uh, started began the uh, social media uh, golf group linked golfers on linkedin.com the largest golf group i think it's well over 46,000 members now around the world Uh, he's taken that out to his own uh, media platform linkedgolfers.com and lastly my good friend mr peter doyle from doyle golf solutions over in ireland a great uh, teach professional as well as a club fitter as well thank you peter for all of your continued support uh, for the show as well Um, and on that note thank you Uh, I look forward to uh, the last show next week right here on Golf Talk Live. I will see you next Thursday. God bless everybody and have a great weekend.